Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, folks, my friends. Wow, what a whirlwind of a week I had, and what a whirlwind of a month I have coming up. Here we are at episode 4-320 of the Run Run Live podcast, and we've got some ground to cover today. I've got a chat with Laura McDonald today, who's deep into training for a marathon with the Marathon BQ program. And I actually did two interviews with Laura. After we were done with the first one, I found that it had an awful digital clicking in it that would make you crazy if you had to listen to it. So I re-interviewed her, but I was super disappointed because I really liked that first take. So I sent it out as a gig request to Fiverr.com to see if someone better at audio mixing than I could save the interview, and it turns out they did. And it was good enough. Yeah, that's right. Five bucks. I got it fixed. I love crowdsourcing. The bad news is that uh, in order to get the click out, they really stepped on the audio, so the resultant quality isn't super great. You'll find it a bit clipped and robot sounding in places, but the content is great, so I decided to go with it. You just have to forgive me. It's podcasting. I'll post the second interview at some point, not right away, but at some point as an added bonus if you want to hear the different take, the second take. I also have for you, I'm going to try to squeeze in my Hood to Coast trip report, race report, which is going to be super long. So I'll slot that into the second section after the interview. And you may want to listen to this one in chunks or on a long run because I think it's going to run long. Then I have a shorter manifesto piece that I'll squeeze into the first section on why we need to do these epic events. I was on a plane this week. I got upgraded to first class, and it was supposed to be a meal flight for the first class people, but the caterers missed the plane, so no meals. And the guy next to me was grumbling. He was grumbling about how he had paid for a meal and he should get a meal and screwed up his whole schedule, and he wouldn't let it go. And I could tell there was something up with the stewardess. She was an older woman and seemed to be bothered or sort of not there, not 100% there. And I told the guy to think about the stewardess because we don't know what's going on in her life. And, you know, his airline meal probably isn't that important in the grand scheme of things and definitely not her fault. And the next time she came by, I asked her, I said, are you okay? And she said she was fine in that way that all women say they are fine to men when they're definitely not fine. So I let it drop. And later the young stewardess from Coach was there and they were talking and we were talking and and she was one of those happy-go-lucky confident types telling us all about how she met her fiancé on Tinder and all these other things. And the older stewardess leans in and says, she keeps trying to get me on Tinder too, but it's only been three months since I lost him. And that's when the guy next to me learned a valuable lesson in empathy. You don't know what's going on with people. You don't know why that person cuts you off. You don't know why they explode over something trivial. And you don't have any right to know. But you can assume it doesn't have anything to do with you. On with the show. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. 
epic. It's all mental. I ran 28 miles in a typhoon with a strained calf muscle last weekend. A sane person would have stopped, quit, given up, packed it in, sat down. I decided to go all in, push all the chips to the center of the table, mortgage the house, F it, tape it up, let's go. Why do we put ourselves in these situations? I'll never be a Navy SEAL, but SEAL training is epic. Days and nights of physical endurance, days and nights of sleeplessness and exhaustion, days and nights of mental stress, and a lot of them give up. Why do they give up? Because they aren't physically strong enough? No, it's because they aren't mentally strong enough. And that's why we do it. We want to find out about ourselves. We want to find out about our mental strength. We want to have our measure taken and see if we measure up. I don't know anyone in this world who thinks they have it all figured out. Everyone you know is faking it. Every executive, CEO, and doctor you meet is asking the questions in their head, why are they trusting me with this? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tough enough to be here. And the higher the stakes, the more we doubt our abilities. And that's why we do it. We do it to come to that moment when we are forced to decide, do I go on or do I quit? Do I take the hard way and figure it out? Or do I take the easy way and let someone else do it? We create these crucibles or hide from them to see how we decide, we choose. And once we make that decision, it becomes about us and our character on a much deeper level. In these situations, it has nothing to do with our competence and our skills. It has to do with our grit. Can we keep moving? Can we quiet the voices of chaos and turn the hopelessness into hope? So stop what you're doing right now and plan an adventure, an epic adventure, one that will force you out of your comfort zone, one that will have you standing naked and afraid in the pale light of a foreign dawn. Do it now. Don't think about the cost. Don't ask for advice. Schedule it. Buy the plane ticket, register for the event, cast the die and break the mold so there is no place to retreat to. Burn your boats and break your cooking pots. Expect to fail. Expect to be scared. Expect to suffer. For that is the good stuff in life, where the constructs of civilization are stripped bare and we are alone with no barricade against fate. We either do or do not. How did they survive the Bataan Death March? How did they survive the Hanoi Hilton? How did Hillary make it to the top? How did Shackleton get his men out alive? They did it because they had to, but they did it because they had a choice. Circumstance gave them a situation and they chose to live. Maybe one more day, maybe one more step, maybe only one more breath, but they chose it and took it and beat back the beast with that human will to live. We modern, moist robots don't get many opportunities to exercise our grit, our true free will. We have to manufacture the situations that allow us to find that grit. We have to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. We have to attend executive boot camps. We have to push ourselves in constructed situations. Where is our grit? It is inside each and every one of us, waiting to be found. You're stronger than you know. Your body and your mind can do things that you can't even imagine in your wettest of dreams. But you need to put yourself in that place to find this strength. This strength is found in the epic event and the epic adventure. And it comes to you when the weather turns and things go badly. One one after another, the crutches of society are knocked out from underneath your limbs and you flail helplessly like a toddler in the depths of unknown trials. And that, my friend, is where you find yourself. 
the greatest generation were great because they went to that place and came back with the strength of knowing, knowing that pool of inner strength and resilience that we all have. It's dammed up in you, and it's up to you to pull the keystone from the dike and release that torrent of strength. Pick up the phone, make that call, schedule your next adventure. What is it? I can't tell you. Your epic adventure is yours to find. But I can tell you, you won't find it sitting at your desk or munching at your dinner table. It's out there. Life is too short to hide under the bed and assume you don't have that strength. You have it. You just need to find it. It is the common man who swings the axe against tyranny. It is the cast-off who ventures to a new land and founds a new world. Kick out the windows and live, my friends. This is your time. Have an epic adventure. And now for today's featured interview. So, who are you? What do you do? This is the 200 words. All right. I'm Laura McDonald. I'm from St. Clair, Michigan, and that's about an hour north of Detroit, small town area. I'm a teacher, a mother of three, and I'm actually married to a marathon runner as well who's qualified twice, <laughs> but a little bit faster than me. I have run 18 marathons so far, and several of them have been kind of overlapping around the time that I had kids, and so it's kind of been broken up from when I started running in 2002. So yeah, this will be my 19th coming up. Have you qualified before? I have not qualified yet. And How close have you gotten or have you tried? I have tried, actually. I was thinking about this. My first few marathons, I, started, I ran my first one in 2002, not prepared at all for it. And the first, <laughs> probably the first few years were just get to the finish line, just the sheer excitement of the marathon itself, not really understand, kind of hearing a little bit about qualifying, but not really focusing on it enough to look up the time or even what that actually meant. I think it was probably around 2008 that I started actually thinking about qualifying and what that might entail. Um, and then over the last couple of years, they changed the, and adjusted the time, which put me at a 335 for qualifying time with my age range. And I think it's been the last couple of years that I've really thought about it, kind of tinkered around with different plans, sort of, kind of created my own plan, never really followed a plan before, um, and then just heard about you recently and decided that this would be a good year to go for it as a 35 year old so my pr is a 348 and right. i need a 340 close. i need a 340 yeah, so yeah yeah i think it's yeah, 340 but you probably you're right in a really competitive age group though yeah. where you are so you probably need another three to four three to five minutes on top of gotcha. that gotcha yep just to uh, qualify. But what I always tell people to do is if you're aiming to qualify, mm-hmm. aim five minutes low. Okay. Because that, that gives you a little uh, wiggle room. Right, right. right. So, if the, so if the weather's bad or you have a random bad day, you still have five minutes of wiggle room. That would be which, good. Which isn't a lot of pace difference when you look at your speed work and your tempo work. It's, you know, it's a couple of seconds. Okay. And it's not a lot of pace difference in the marathon either if you spread out five minutes over. Okay. 25 miles, right? It's what, I don't know, I can't even do the math, but it's not a lot of pace. Right, right. So you're, you're following the uh, Marathon BQ training plan? I am. I heard about you actually listening to um, Angie Spencer, the, um, the Marathon Training sure. Academy podcast. And this spring, I heard about you and your book. You were on an interview on there, and I thought, oh, my gosh, there's ever an opportunity because I haven't, I just, every plan doesn't have, it's not simple. It's not, it doesn't have the speed work laid out. It looks very complex usually. And I usually right. start out well and then just kind of fall off the plan quickly because it's just too much to remember, too difficult to keep up with. And what I like about this is very tough. It's not that it's an easy plan, but it seems, it's just easy to keep in mind. That there's three types of runs during the week. I can do that, you know, and just kind of going through it that way. So I heard about that, and I got your book before I wanted to start the plan and read through that and then kind of started, you know, orchestrating it around um, my fall marathon. Cool. Um, how many days a week are you running? I would say six um, with a day off, kind of the rest right. day. And that kind of, yeah. it's 
the days are, I mean, I've had to adapt a few things. I have three kids that are in baseball and soccer and um, it's kind of a busy lifestyle right now. So it just, it with vacations and everything, sometimes the days change and it's like, okay, yeah. this has to be the speed work day. This has to be the tempo day. There is no right. other long run day. And so, yeah, it's, right. I had to be flexible with a few things, but I'm really focusing on getting the speed in, which is something I've never done before. Are you feeling that it's making a difference for you? I mean, do you feel different? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't hit every goal speed workout time. I've hit several of them, but there are definitely a couple where I'm five seconds off or I'm a couple seconds either you know, off of where I need to be after a tough workout. But I think since this is my first experience with speed, I'm not too disappointed in that. Yeah, it takes a few weeks for your body to figure out the form. It does. And did you notice how your your form sort of automatically cleaned itself up? It's getting better, yeah. I would agree with that. Because you just can't run fast with that form. Mm -hmm. And now the tempos are getting drastically easier. I mean, it seems right. a lot easier to maintain the tempo pace. So that's getting a lot easier with the speed. And I'm definitely, it's a lot easier to run faster with a little bit less effort. and it's. I've noticed a considerable difference. Yeah and, yeah, and that speed stuff you're never actually going to use mm -hmm. unless you run a 5K or you're right. to the finish line. It's just to build strength and aerobic capacity and, and move your, your threshold and help your mind. Right. Um, but, the, but the tempo stuff you're actually going to use. Right. Because that's race simulation, essentially. Yep, right? I agree. That's, that's pace discipline. Do you, do you find that you can hit those um, numbers? The tempo, sort of, you know, the tempo, yeah. I'm right on with the tempo. Like I said, the speed, there are a few, some of the speed I'll hit right on in a workout, probably about, and then the other, like if I were this morning I did speed and I hit two of them right on, the other two were about five seconds off. Where I yeah, plus my, yeah, plus or minus five seconds isn't an issue. It's the, um, the issue is if your, if your form starts to break down, mm -hmm. right? So you get into that final third or fourth lap and your form starts right. to break, that's when you want to stop. Right. Because running with crappy forms is teaching your body the wrong thing. Okay. It's better to pack it up and try another day. Okay. Right. So it's it's the it's the mechanics, you know, that, that are super important. Right. Because you're trying to burn that in. Okay. Um, and you're gonna have bad days. You know, right. I've walked away. I've walked away from many track workouts just halfway in. Just the the thing I the thing I always say to people is don't give up. Right. Before you before you get to the track. Right. Right. <laughs> And then don't give up after the first one because the first right. one's always the worst because your body has to warm up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're managing. Yeah. So, so when you when you're doing that that tempo one, mm -hmm. right? So this is your marathon pace minus like a minute, right? Or right. Thirty seconds. Right. Thirty seconds. Right. So your so your target pace you're targeting somewhere around an eight minute mile and eight oh five for your marathon pace. My my or my marathon pace will be the eight twenty three. Eight twenty three. So, so you're doing tempo at like seven forty. Yeah, I've been hitting between. They've been anywhere between seven thirty to seven forty, right in that right. range. Um, right. fluctuating a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's been pretty comfortable to hit. Yeah. So what does that feel like? You know, explain to people how that works when you're running. Tell 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 us how it feels when you you know. Throughout those four laps of the 1600, when you're on that that pace, well, the speed feels considerably fast. I mean, that just feels like you are giving everything you have to make it to the end. Like you're just, I mean, hoping to not just crash at the end. But the tempo feels good. I mean, it really has. I felt so much more comfortable because of the speed in the tempo runs, actually. Um, yeah. And it feels hard, but it feels like you could still. Not really have a conversation necessarily, but you feel like you're clipping along, but you almost get in kind of like a almost like a zone, I guess, halfway through a mile where you're able to just your legs kind of carry themselves. Like you get into that that spot where you just feel like you're comfortably running. Um, right, you're cruising. Yeah, you're just kind of cruising. You feel like you're you probably I probably don't look like it, but I feel like I'm in that zone where I'm just running in that, you know. Yeah, you feel really good, really comfortable, but it, it's intense. I mean, but it's not quite like a speed workout. 
Right. So you're not going. <laughs> no, no. You're still breathing hard. Your heart's uh-huh. still thumping, but your form is strong and feels strong. Right. And you're, and I'm still paying attention to my watch and making sure I'm on with my pace. Whereas if it's an easy run, I'm just kind of out there into the hypnotism of the run and have no idea what my time is necessarily. You know. So do you, so do you do these down at the track? I do. I've done several of them at the track um, with some vacations. It seems like we've been gone every couple weeks this summer. Um, and some of them have just been on straightaway distances that have been kind of measured out with the Garmin. And so, unfortunately, a few of them have just kind of been straightaways um, when I've been gone. And, you know, yeah. for a couple weeks here and there doing plan, it's just, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this is the best I have. Or even we, when we were in Boston, I had um, a treadmill option. And right. one of the days, and yeah. you know, it's like, all right, we're going to go with that today. Yeah. The only reason I like the track is that simplicity yeah. thing again, right? Right. I a like track that. is a track is a track mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Right. And, if, you know, it just adds one more layer of complexity. you got to find a flat spot yep. and measure it up and mm-hmm. blah, 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 right? Definitely. Um, Definitely. So when you're when you're doing the, the you know, a 1500 on the track, whether it's at speed or tempo, how... How are you maintaining a consistent pace so you don't go out too fast or go out too slow? How do you contain and you know, how do you uh, keep that, maintain that pace and monitor while you're doing the, the workout? I will say I'm looking at my watch quite a bit because I'm still making sure that I'm on, you know, not the entire time, but making sure that I'm on the pace because if I, you know, if I'm going too slow, I need to get pushing it, you know, and that kind of helps a lot. I've so never, you're checking it, are you checking it at the hundreds? Yeah, or I'm the checking 200? it probably around hundreds. I would say yeah. still just to make sure because I want to follow it as much as I can. Um, and I don't want to get sloppy with my pacing. I've never been good at pacing um, before this, actually. And my marathon times have been all over the place, mainly because I'll go out too fast or just the mileage is, the miles are drastically different as far as pacing usually. So I'm really trying to focus on it, actually. Try to get up so, to my, quickly get up to the pace that I need to be at when I'm running these tempos or the speeds, and then try to hold that as much as I can. Um, and sometimes right. it dips a little bit, like it'll be in the sixes, or then they'll, you know, crank up close to an eight, and it's just, you know, it's kind of moving around a little bit. Um, but it's, you know, it's a lot better than it's been. Yeah, and you're pretty deep into this, right? right. You're like week nine week so nine. you're actually you're actually in the dark place yeah i would say that <laughs> be true or <laughs> it will get pretty rough um there's a lot of volume in that yeah definitely um but you've done enough of this to where you're at the point where you could probably leave the watch at home right okay and you could hit those tempo paces okay plus or minus, plus or minus five seconds so I'm, I'm asking that more of a question you feel like you could hit you know you could go into a 10k right now and say i'm going to run X pace the whole way and actually hit those pace. I think I'd be pretty darn close to that actually, because yeah. I'm starting to feel like okay, this is what a seven forty five mile actually feels like, and this is what yeah. you know, this is what a seven ten mile feels like, and right. I definitely got the range figured out with that. So yeah, right. I think that it's yep. getting the more you do it. I like I said, I've never done speed work before, and this has been excellent for really. For putting in there, but not making it, I don't want my whole week to be speed work. You know, I it's been a great balance of it. So, yeah, and I think it's such it's so instructive to do uh, sort of that consistent speed work over time mm-hmm. because you learn so much about your body and your pacing mm-hmm. and your pace discipline and pace control. Yep. And I and I feel like I'm saying that, but people don't hear that. You know, until mm-hmm. they do it, you really can't know about it until you do it. Right, exactly. I was very resistant to it before. My husband always said, you've got the one thing that's going to make you better is you've got to get to the track. You've got to do speed work. And it's like, no, <laughs> I want to do speed work. But it really does make a difference. It really, it definitely makes a difference. Yeah, because you learn so much about your machine in the process. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And, and I was, yeah, and I was writing a post on this this week and looking at, you know, the different, if you look at like the Higdon plans mm-hmm. or all the ones you can find out on the internet, you know, nobody works speed working until they get up into the intermediate levels. Right, right. And I wonder why they do that, because you can learn so much by doing it. Right. Even if it was just, you know, do, you know, three, four hundred, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, and try to hit this time. Right. You know, and do them seventy five percent. Don't even do them hard. But you can learn so much, and it'll be yep. such benefit to those beginners, and it wouldn't hurt. Them. Right. Right. So I'm so I'm wondering why I think people just are afraid to to offer up anything that would cause discomfort. It it definitely causes some discomfort at times. And I think the focus is on the mileage. Because I had a few good runners that would say, why are you doing speed work if you're going to run a marathon? It doesn't make sense. Shouldn't you just be running mileage? And I think there's just a different, you know, there's a preconception that you just need to run miles if you're going to run a marathon. Yeah, and, and the position where, and, and the situation where you're in, where you're running your 19th marathon, mm-hmm. you don't need to run any more miles. Right. You know how far going six exactly. miles is. You can get made you've got the engine, yeah. you've got the pace. Mm-hmm. You just need to work on this, you know, the speed and strength mm-hmm. and the pace control. Right. And and that'll burn that in. So that's perfect for you. So now you know you're kind of in the dark place here. You're, you're struggling at all with the volume. I mean, I, I seem to remember you have an eight mile tempo. Uh, Coming out. Uh, coming yes, out. I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, right now is a good time, although it's a tricky time. But both of us are teachers, so we're home a lot over the summer. So this has worked out as far as like good. I don't have to get up at three in the morning to be able to run. Um, yeah. it's a little bit tricky around kids, like I said, getting the finding the time, carving out the best. You know, what time of day is going to work out best? We both, as runners, have to go over. Okay. I'm planning on doing my speed work today. I'm planning on doing, you know, my husband's also going out for a 20 mile run sometime this week. And it's like, okay, you know, how can we map this out? So it's a lot of thought ahead of time. Like you can't just, you know, say, Hey, I was planning on doing my long run today. And it's a lot of thinking about it ahead of time, making sure, you know, today's going to be a good day to go through the whole, you know, whatever workout I've done well, staying pretty injury free this time, a little bit of, pain on the top of my foot sometimes after some of the speed workouts but that goes away pretty quickly yeah. after I'm done running but other than that I mean I definitely feel the need to stretch more because I just feel tight yeah. after some of the running but yes yeah, but it's good it's kind of exciting to be at um, after having we were just in Boston actually and it was exciting to walk the streets and be at the finish line and be in the spot where I'm training and thinking like this is, you know, getting a little bit of a sense for it at the same time. So, oh yeah, if you, cool. if you get there, I don't know if you've been in Boston on uh, Patriots Day, but it's uh, it's an amazing thing. I haven't. Yeah, it's it is it's, it's our tribe. Right, right. So you're doing a seven mile tempo run this week. I haven't looked at the actual one. I, it's either seven, seven or eight. eight. Yeah, it's one of the two. Yeah, it's pretty high. So that eight, you know that. That's a lot of work. You're looking at, you know, two, three thousand calories worth of right. there. Um, so make sure you fuel up okay. for that and uh, and watch your nutrition around that because those last two or three reps are good. You're going to be your legs are going to be dead. Right. 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 So you right. really got to focus on your form, and okay. that's where the pace control and the form comes in. Okay. Because and that's what you're trying to learn, right? right. My legs are tired, but I have the pace and the form discipline to run in. I can keep going. That's but. Today, realizing halfway through, like, oh, I still got another, you know, two laughs, and I just want to stop. It's just, but you know, the, you know, just not sabotaging yourself, letting your mind, right? You know, because your mind wants to stop. That's what I've had the trouble with during several of the marathons, where I think I'm trained better than I actually end up running. But yeah, you know, I let my mental thoughts start, you know, creeping in and telling myself that I'm dying and I'm tired and yeah. Right, and that's where again, where the um, the discomfort down the track helps because I you agree. can look back on that and go, "This is nothing." Exactly, I've, been I've here done before that. and I push through and I'm yeah. successful. Mm-hmm. Right, and my body used to make up stuff. Right, oh yeah, during races yeah. and during and during workouts, it would say, "Oh my God, you have to throw up." Right, <laughs> and I go, I go, no. Okay, go ahead, throw up. I don't care. Right, right. That's good. I'll keep. I'm. I'm not going to stop running. Go ahead. Yep. And then that would go away, you know, uh-huh. it was like these psychosomatic yeah. things. My body would just make enough to try to get you to top run. Right, right. Yep, definitely. Yep. And if you just push them to the side, so you get that practice of sort of sublimating all these sort of uh-huh. signals your body's uh, sending you. Yep. Uh, it's all method. I say that to people in the game. It really is because I have let my mind sabotage everything, you know, in a race before, you know, to the point where you're just like, I'm done. <laughs> and you really could have gotten longer. So, what are you spinning your uh, long run up to? 
My long run is at 20. So I've done, I think, three. This will be my third 20. This might be my third 20 recently, so in, which is good. Again, if you look at your, you know, your stock internet training programs, mm-hmm. I won't call anybody out, but, you know, they're going to peak at maybe 120. Yep, I right? agree. And if you're in good, you know, the shape you're in right now, mm-hmm. that's, those 20s aren't going to be that hard for you. They're not. The you know? first. The seven, the first 17 I had done because I was coming, I started, my last marathon was in April and I had just run it just for, I guess, just to run a marathon for fun. I had no goal in mind. It was a busy, busy time and took a few weeks off, just kind of maintained, you know, 25 miles a week or so, but nothing serious. And then kind of got, you know, working towards starting your plan and then started the plan. And so I had a decent base going in. Like, I don't think I dipped below eight miles for a long run. So I never kind of stopped. And I think, yeah, yeah, you just, I mean, my first, you know, 15 and 17, getting back into it were a little tough. But then now I'm noticing a 20 miler is easier than, you know, my first 17 was. So Right, right. And you're holding that pace Mm -hmm. and it's very conversational. It is. It's not not like if you're not doing the speed work and you're not doing the, you know, the hard stuff. When you do those long runs, the long runs are slugs. Mm-hmm. The last six miles are awful and you're suffering. Mm-hmm. But if you've got that strength and that and that uh, that tempo and speed training, they're, they're just on the run. It's not too bad. And I like that it doesn't have to be at a fast pace. It's more yeah. of a um, the long run. You're right. out there to enjoy yeah. it. And yeah. It. So. Yeah, and it's really, you know, you can actually start, you can probably get away with doing shorter um, long runs if you wanted to. I left the longer stuff in there just to give people confidence. But it's good mentally because I haven't done a 24 in training before, so I think exactly it'll just be good mental. It's nice when you yeah, exactly kind of done there, right? Exactly because I last couple times I qualified. Um, I I think my long runs were like 17 or 18. Okay, but I was in such good mm-hmm. shape that it didn't matter. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, so the uh, so that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So as you get into these high volume weeks, especially before those big tempo workouts, you know, try to get a power bar or something in here. Okay. Whatever your favorite form of quick um, energy is. Yep. You know, I, again, I don't claim to be uh, any kind of diet expert or anything, but having a little free glycogen mm-hmm. and also while you run, you're going to be out there for an hour and a half, two hours. Right. Right. So, so have something you can sit on while you're while you're out there because you'll need it in those last uh, those last three. You can sort of practice that digesting stuff during the workout, have it at the end of the workout. Yeah, that's what I found during one of the longer runs and some of the runs. It's even like I do well eating during like kind of the break. Um, something digestible that seems to work. I can't load up beforehand. I just right, can't right. do it. And, Right, you sort of sip it in, or you mm-hmm. sort of spooning it as you're going. Right, and, and that seems to work out really well. To, yeah, exactly. I'm going to use this as fuel. Mm-hmm. You're fueling the fire, exactly. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, stay stay away from that barbecue and fried <laughs> seafood, and it'll be fine. There you go. Absolutely. All right, this is great. You have any questions for me? I'm so happy for you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping this goes well. I have my backup plan because this run is September 20th, which would be after my even if I did qualify, this would be after yeah. the, the fact. So I wouldn't be running until 2017 regardless. Um, yeah. And so this spring I'll, I'll do a marathon or one, you know, between now and, you know, next fall. So that's kind of like, this is, we'll see how this goes. If it, you know, if I get really close and don't make it, then I'm going to, you know, I've got a second, I can go through a second time. Yeah. Well, like I said, the, what I used to do is I schedule another marathon two yeah, weeks later. <laughs> yep. In case, and, and if I got to it to the half marathon point and said, you know, today's not my day yep. or I'm not quite ready, I just drop out okay. and run the next one. Gotcha. Um, because my whole point was to qualify, not to see the sights. Right. And that's what's a different mindset that I'm kind of thinking, like, I really need to get into the, I have no business starting out running the first couple miles of a seven minute pace. You know, I need to. You know, that's right. going to be the challenge for me is sticking to the pace. Well, if you can find a pacing buddy, yeah. you know, somebody who's faster than you mm-hmm. that can run the race with you and hold you on your paces. Right, right. Um, for the first 15 miles, um, it'll be it'll be a cakewalk for you. I'm hoping. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you. Good luck. I'll let you get back because you probably have a workout you need to get. Well, I got the workout in already, so I'm (laughs) doing well for now. (laughs) All right. Um, Let me know uh, what happens with you, America. I will. uh, When you get through it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Okay. I want to know. All right. Well, thank you for your plan. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. It's when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The unexpected epicness of the Hood to Coast Relay 2015, just when you think you can't learn anymore. Do we start this story with me head down, fighting hard into a 70 mile per hour headwind in the driving rain, screaming curses like a madman into the void? Or do we start with how I got to that place? When I signed up for the race, I figured it would be a piece of cake. A 200-mile relay with a 12-person team. Yawn. I've done far more epic shit than that before. This was going to be one of those fun run experiences, so I could check the hood to coast off my bucket list and get on with my training. I've done the relay thing many times before. 12 people, three legs. That's only 15 miles over the course of 24 hours. I can do that in my sleep. I even scheduled a vacation around it, something I'd never do for an A race. I planned a nice trip with my wife. There were a bunch of states out there I've never seen. I organized it so we would fly into South Dakota on Monday, rent a nice yellow Mustang convertible, and drive west across the divide to Portland, a vacation race. As we got closer to the event, things started to change. The Friday... Before we were set to leave, I was out doing my easy run and something popped in my left calf. I had to stop running and hobble home. Eh, No problem, just a calf strain. I had a week to heal. I'd just stay off it, right? And then the team emails began filtering in. Turns out we couldn't find 12 people, we only had 8. Now we've started referring to it as an ultra team, and oh, yeah, by the way, you're in van once, you get to run five legs instead of three. Okay, no problem, I've done the ultra thing before, it's still only a marathon or so over the course of 24 hours, no worries, I'll be fine. I didn't run all week leading into the race, I was trying to feel the calf as I walked around to see if it still hurt, and I was starting to stress out because I could feel something in there. But I didn't know until I started racing what would happen. And there's nothing I can do except stay off it and hope for the best. Now the good thing about an ultra team is the logistics are much simpler. There's less waiting around and more running. The team dynamics are much better because no one has time or energy to get bitchy with anyone else in the van. You're either sleeping or running. It's much cleaner and easier to manage. The other good thing, for me, was that our team was mostly studs. I wouldn't have to carry anyone or worry about people bailing after the second leg. These were veterans. And it makes everything easier when you can count on your team. Ironically, I'd never met any of these people in the flesh before, but I knew they're bona fides, and I knew they could chop wood and carry water. Our Van One team was Susan, the local ultra runner, me, Rick, a newer but still accomplished runner and triathlete from Indiana, and Samantha, a Kona Ironman athlete and ex-college runner. Lori, Rick's wife, was our den mother and driver. Sam was leg one, Susan was leg two, I was leg three, and Rick was leg four. In the other van, we had Coach Jeff from PRS Fit, an Ironman athlete and cancer patient that we were running for, Patty, another triathlete and marathoner, Ellen, another triathlete and marathoner, and Sherry Ann, another Kona stud with Ellen's husband as the driver. Say what you want about triathletes being prima donnas because, yeah, it's true. But they're studs in an endurance event. So yeah, we were basically stacked. Even so, it's always a bit dicey to be tossed into a van with four people you've never met. 
The Van 1 crew, my crew, decided to sleep at Susan's cabin on Mount Hood the night before. Susan's a local who has run the Hood to Coast a bunch of times, and she knows the ropes. She was like our Hood to Coast Sacagawea, telling us which exchanges were dicey and how to navigate the course. I got up early and went outside in the pre-dawn glow to sit and to get my mind right for the race. I was third in the rotation. This meant I'd run the third leg of an eight-person rotation through 36 legs. So leg three, 11, 19, 27, and 35. As a team, this gave us a good three to four hour gap between sets that we could get some sleep in. We had an 8.45 a.m. start time. They roll people out in 15-minute waves trying to manage the paces so the exchanges don't get too bunged up. And in general, they start the slower waves first. We got into the Timberline Lodge starting line up on Mount Hood with more than an hour to spare. And it was overcast in the 50s, great running weather. We were meeting Sam there. It's always a bit troubling when you have to trust someone to show up the morning of the race. But she made it. And she brought her adorable... Chihuahua Terrier mix, Mimi, that I got to cuddle with all night long. And then we had some fun. Sam got out her bacon strip costume and wore it for the first leg, a fast downhill four or so miles. The funny thing is that she was so fast, she beat everyone in her wave except for one person. And a few of the people in the next wave all dressed as a strip of bacon. (laughs) Sam was definitely the talent in the van. Susan went next with another fast downhill leg. And my first leg was a fast downhill 5K-ish. I took the handoff around 10 a.m. from Susan and eased into race pace. I was feeling pretty good, passing people, holding a decent pace. I got passed by some youngster in a red dress, but he soon ran out of gas and I caught him. And the calf felt okay, so I started to stretch the pace. Then it popped. I got a sharp pain, and I knew I'd pulled it. I started limping, trying to run with just my right leg. It hurt. And every time I'd try to race, I'd end up hopping on one leg. So I slowed way down and leaned on the right quad, and I got repassed again by the kid in the red dress. And then I had a moment of panic. I had all these thoughts running through my head. I'm done. How can I finish? I can't run on this. Someone else is going to have to run my legs. I can't do it. Well, maybe I can tape it up. Maybe I can immobilize it and keep going. What am I going to do? Shit, shit, shit. I finished the leg in pretty good time. Still managed to take 10 places. At the Hood Coast, teams typically make a big deal of how many kills your van gets. Kills are short for roadkill. And that's the number of people you pass during your leg versus the number who pass you. After the handoff to Rick, I shoved a baggie of ice down my calf sleeve and commenced to brood. I went through all the stages, denial, anger, grief, acceptance, and ended back up with denial, which is where most endurance athletes live. I spent the next few hours looking for some tape. I figured I might tape it up and give it a go. My second leg was an easy downhill four-miler, so I could probably fake it with a bum leg. I was super cranky. When Rick finished, we were done with our first van rotation, so we drove through to the boring Oregon exchange, laid out our blankets, and napped. I had stopped at a Walmart on the way to the relay and bought a queen-size blanket and two beach towels for a total of $17, with the intent of abandoning them on the course somewhere. Here's a relay tip. There's nothing more useful in a 24-hour relay than a big blanket and a few towels. You're constantly wet and cold and sweaty and tired, and having something you don't care about to cover with makes life easier. For the next couple of exchanges, as my second leg approached, I wandered around in a foul mood, asking people if they had tape. I finally managed to scrounge up some KT tape, And Rick, being a physical therapist, among other things, applied a strip to my calf. And we put the calf sleeve over it and prayed for the best. 
I don't think anyone else in the van appreciated what was going on in my head. I came to compete, and now, one leg in, I didn't even know if I could run anymore. And that's not who I am. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who bails on an ultra team after the first leg. I had 23-plus miles left and no idea how I was going to do it. Four more legs. Damn it. I wanted to bring my A game, especially with new people. Now I was hurt. And then something clicked. At some point, I made the decision to run. And no matter what, to finish. Even if I had to walk, even if I wouldn't be able to run again for a couple weeks, I'd finish. Once I got through that in my head, all that was left was do the work. And that gave me something to do. I had invoked rule number six, which is don't be a pussy. By now, it was close to five in the afternoon. The sun had come out. It was hot and humid. And Susan came through the exchange a bit wobbly, having been hammered by the heat and having her own battle. A guy on a bike came through the exchange and crashed into the runners behind me as I took the handoff. Encouragingly for me, this leg was an easy four-and-a-half-mile downhill on a rail trail, and I really didn't know what would happen. My leg, my calf, could force me to walk. The easy leg allowed me to ease into it when I started and find a rhythm. I ran tentatively, trying to find a balance and pace that I could work with. Initially, there was some pain, but once the calf numbed out, I found I could run on it. As long as I didn't race or toe off, and I kept my form super clean, I didn't mind holding a slower pace, especially in the heat. And the funny thing was, I was still passing people. I was consistently harvesting 7 to 10 people every leg. The real trail was weird, with lots of homeless camps under the bushes, and there were a bunch of road crossings where the runners would bunch up waiting for the lights to change or the traffic to break. A younger woman passed me, but she wasn't going that much faster than me, and I kept catching her at the crossings. I could see she was tiring towards the end of the leg, so I pulled up on her shoulder after one light and said, you need to pick it up. You're about to be passed by a 53-year-old guy with a bad heart and a torn calf. And she laughed and took off. We were already starting to pass lots of people who were just walking. When we finished this leg... We were in close to Patty's house in Portland, so we swung by and took a hot shower before the next leg. And that's the best feeling in the world, or at least the second best. And I was feeling much more confident. I still didn't know if the calf would hold out and stay numb. I was staring at three more legs. I wasn't racing, but I could still run. The next leg would be the big test. If I could get through that one, it was metaphorically downhill from there. This was a rolling uphill, and I had to see how the calf would manage the uphill. I had made my decision, and that put me in a better mood. If it was a 9-minute miles or 10s or 11s, I would get it done. This and the shower took some pressure off. Our next layover was Scapoose High School, where we laid out on the lawn and slept some more. Some guy walked by and told us they were going to turn the sprinklers on, but we ignored him and kept napping. As we eased into our third cycle, the sun had set, and it had clouded up. Jeff came through to hand off to Sam, and he was struggling with some cancer episodes, but he was getting it done, and I felt a bit petty worrying about a calf strain. The joke in the relay world is that the middle leg is the hardest. It's dark, you're tired, the initial enthusiasm has subsided, and you don't want to run anymore. You just want to sleep. My first night leg started just before midnight. This would be the real test. A hard, rolling, uphill six miles with a mile uphill into the finish. If my calf was going to fail, it would be here. I thought if I could get past this one, I could finish. It had started to be rainy on and off. We were napping in the car and cuddling with Mimi the dog. I had my blankets and towels. I hadn't brought a lot to eat. My theory on these things is you really have to watch what you eat during the middle sections or you can get in trouble. Less is typically better. People eat because they're tired and bored and they make bad decisions. I had some popcorn, bananas, leftover pizza from the night before, 
Genucan on the runs and lots of water. And I still had some GI expediency to deal with, but I was okay. It was quite dark with the cloud cover in now, and it was spitting rain. And I walked Susan to her start to wait for Sam to come in. And while we were standing around, people were gossiping that they were expecting 70-mile-an-hour winds at the finish line. I couldn't believe that. It was overcast and raining off and on, but nothing like that. Everyone now was wearing their headlamps, their vests, their flashers. You'd see them emerge from the dark like disembodied spaceships coming down the road, strings of lights bobbing down the road like weird Christmas decorations. Sam was still crushing it as she came through the finish. She was averaging 50 kills a leg. As you get into the night legs, the transitions start to get a little disorganized. You'll see runners push through the finish line only to be stranded with no one to hand off to. Everyone stands around calling out their number, but no one comes. I took the handoff from Susan and eased into my first night leg. It was super dark, and I had headlamp problems. I couldn't find my good headlamp when I was packing, so I packed the old one, and it had issues. The light was dim, and the elastic was gone from the strap. I was having trouble seeing the road, and it kept sliding off my head. The camber of the road in this section was pretty bad. The road was lumpy, with no shoulder, and a drop-off. If you stepped off the side, you'd turn an ankle. I was tired, and my leg was numb. It didn't hurt, it was just numb. My pace was slow enough that it really wasn't stressing the calf, and I started to remember a lesson I've learned many times. Our bodies can do anything our minds tell them to. In the first couple miles, I was very low energy. I had thoughts running through my mind of, how the hell am I going to run another five miles? The finish line seemed a long ways away at this energy level. I had put on my raincoat, but it stopped raining, so I was overdressed and a bit hot. It was really dark. The only time you could really see was when the cars passed you from behind. We ran on the left shoulder into traffic, and we could not see anything when the cars came at us. There were enough runners that I could usually see someone in the distance as I gained on them, and it was a bit like the lights on a landing strip guiding you in. I forgot to start my Garmin at the exchange until I was at least a quarter mile in. And I used that as a psychological tool. Whatever my Garmin said, I knew I'd be a bit further along. It was like a positive affirmation every time the mile alert buzzed. I knew every time it buzzed, I was actually further along than it said, and that made me happy. It's funny the games you play with your head when you're trying to run in a long race. It was hard running. I narrowed my scope. I took it one mile at a time. It was hard running, so I remembered my discipline. I focused on my breathing like in meditation. I focused on my form and running with my core. I lifted my knees up the hills with my core. I did some power walking on the steep hills. I started counting steps to stay focused. I'd count to 100 and then start over again. I was still passing people. There were walkers, and these were only leg two runners. They were slouched over and walking like the shuffling dead. I knew that when I hit that last hill, it was only a mile to the exchange. I was surprised at how strong I felt. I ran it in for a decent time and handed off to Rick. I was starting to get confident I could fake two more legs. Each time I'd finish a leg, I'd throw my wet, stinky stuff into a trash bag. The women in the van were complaining about my aroma and groaned every time I opened the bag. Relay tip, bring trash bags for your wet, stinky stuff. It was raining consistently now, so we couldn't sleep outside. I slept sitting up in the back seat between Susan and Sam, with my legs stretched out onto the console in the front seat. With all my years of airline travel, I can sleep anywhere. But Samantha, she was the champion. Every time she got in the car, she'd be fast asleep, with Mimi curled up in her lap until it was time to run again. Mimi the dog started to like me and would crawl up on my lap to sleep too. And while Sam and I were getting lots of sleep, poor Susan wasn't able to sleep in the car at all and was getting tired. Meanwhile, Lori, Rick's wife, who'd been awake and driving for 20 plus hours at this point, was still perky and singing. 
As we rolled into our fourth legs, the storm was on us. The rain was coming in waves with some wind. I had two more legs. We were up and at them around 3 a.m. to start our next van one cycle, our second night leg. We were in the middle of nowhere with no cell service. The transition traffic was an absolute cluster. It was dark and rainy. There were hundreds of vans, and all the drivers and volunteers were sleep-deprived and exhausted. I got my other headlamp out for the fourth leg. This one had a good strap and a strong light, but it was more of a camping headlight than a running headlight, and it kept sliding into my eyes and giving me vertigo. I held the other one, the weak one, in my hand as a flashlight, and that worked quite well. I had an easy rolling 10K, and the roads for this one were much better. I was getting some swagger. We were more than halfway. I was confident I was finished, and I was tired, but I was running strong. Certainly stronger than the zombies I was passing. I refocused on form and running from the core. People crashed physically all around me. My kills were going up. The majority of them were either walking or running with form that was painful to watch. They were suffering mental and physical exhaustion, and they were only in their third leg. I had a strong kick and handed it to Rick. Mad dog! We were becoming a team. We were starting to talk smack. So, you feel good about those three legs? Yeah, we're on our fourth. We have one more to go. Everyone in our van's running more than 28 miles. Sam's doing 30K. We were building that relay race esprit de corps that only shared effort and suffering can foster. And you could tell the 12-person teams were starting to hate each other. Too much time in their hands and not enough running. We didn't hate each other. We just racked out and slept in the van like dead people. We woke up a couple hours later to the daylight. The wind was up now with rain coming in waves. It started blowing hard in Jeff's last leg. I was waiting with Sam for Jeff to come in with a towel over my head in the pouring rain. Van 2 was done, just four legs left, Sam, Susan, me, and Rick to take us home. We sent Sam off for her last eight-miler in the wind and the rain. I was exhausted, but confident because even though my calf was still injured, it had stayed numb, and I've been getting stronger with each leg. The rookies and the 12-member teams were fading and walking, but we're all ultra-athletes and Ironmen, and we're getting stronger. I never thought I'd be able to run leg two, so I'm pretty psyched about having only one more run to do. The sun's up, and I'm only a couple hours away from beer and burger and finisher's medal. Life is good. We're back in the car, and the wind is hammering. The trees are bent sideways, and the road is full of debris. I'm thinking, really? I push through an injury. I run all night in the rain. And this is my reward? Seven miles of uphill into the teeth of a typhoon? What the hell? And I got a little mad, like you do. Because when there's only one lap or one leg left, that's when it's okay to fall back on emotion to carry you in. Screw it. I made it this far. It's only air. It's only water. Take it one mile, one step at a time. It can't stop me. Then I'm in the van getting ready for that last leg, and I'm looking at the holy hell that the weather has turned into, and I'm out of clothes. All I have left that's dry is a singlet. I'm forced to dig into the stinky bag for the long sleeve shirt and rain jacket I wore in leg three. I have Lori and crew drop me at the transition because Susan only has a 5K, and I'm not sure I'd survive the walk over from parking. I hide from the wind and rain behind the single portageon huddling with strangers to keep warm. Your third leg? That's nice. Screw you. I'm 21 miles in, going on my fifth. I'm getting full body shivers in the wet clothes as the wind tries to take the jacket off. I'm using a pair of old tech socks for gloves. Cowering in the lee of a portageon in the wind and driving rain. I see Susan coming in, and it's on. The leg starts with some rolling road. This then leads into a dirt road like a rail trail. There are branches and stuff blowing everywhere. I get a sharp pain in my hand as I get nailed by a high-velocity pine cone in the tempest. I've got my head down, and I'm grinding. 
I'm on the dirt road now, struggling directly into a 50 to 70 mile an hour wind gust with driving rain like a thousand nails into my body. There's no protection. I remember my training, my years of running. I know how to run in the wind. I get my head down and I get small. I pull my hands in tight, my shoulders in, trying not to give the wind any purchase. It's grabbing at my hat and tugging at my hood. But I'm grinding it out like a machine. God knows how slow I'm going. I'm like one of those old movies where the wind blows people backwards down the street. But I'm still passing people because they have given up. They aren't even trying. They're slumped over and defeated, trudging down this road. And I feed on it. I'm fighting hard and letting the adrenaline surge. They don't know how to run in the wind and the cold and the rain and the exhaustion and the injuries. I do. I know how to run. And I do grinding it out. There's no one to draft because no one is running. I pass people and tell them to tuck in behind me, but they don't because they don't know how. And I glance back and then they're 12 feet behind and then they're gone. In the last mile, the rain eases and the sun comes out. But I'm in full on hammer mode, cursing out loud at the sky. F you. Is this the best you can do? Come on, bring it. Let's go. I drive my legs, screaming at the void, into the transition and hand it to Rick with 60 kills in my final leg. Feeling good, feeling strong, feeling indestructible, feeling like I'd been tested and I'd measured up. I'm high on the achievement. I'm telling anyone who will listen. My body and my mind and this sport can still teach me a lesson or two about how strong we can be if we only choose to be strong. In the van, we find our way to the beach. The finish area on the beach has been mauled and destroyed by the storm. The grand tents and scaffolding lay in tattered ruins. They've hastily changed the finish to the sidewalk. The wind is sandblasting us as we run. As a team, through the finish, eight of the strongest athletes I've ever had the privilege to go into battle with. As it turns out, this wasn't a fun run. This wasn't the promenading lark that I thought it would be. This was an epic battle against nature and ourselves, and we won. Yvonne, my wonderful wife, drove the yellow Mustang over to the beach from Portland to fetch me, and we drove back to the Marriott Riverfront with its feather pillows and hot water, and I took a shower. And we went out to the Hopworks Urban Brewery for the best bacon cheeseburger I've ever had. When we got back to the hotel, I made the mistake of laying on the bed to watch TV, and I don't remember anything else. The next morning, my legs were pretty stiff, and the calf was swollen. There was some blood and bruising under the skin. I guess I'll be taking a couple weeks off. PRS Fit Team 1095, Hood to Coast Relay, 36 legs, 198 miles, 27 hours, an average pace of 8 minutes and 24 seconds, 343rd out of 1,050 teams. Three old men, six hot girls, and one hell of an effort. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Sorry for the long race report, but now you have run into the driving rain and wind of my audio prose to the end of episode 4-320. The Run, Run, Live podcast. I'm not running at all this week because, needless to say, my leg was a bit upset at me from running 28 miles on it. I won't be able to run the Wapak Trail Race this weekend, but I'll be up there. I'll be volunteering. I've got a crazy schedule of travel and stuff for the next five weeks straight, so I may just step back from training and do a maintenance routine for September. We'll see. I'm not going anywhere. If you want to help me, you can recommend this podcast to a friend or if you or you can leave a positive review for one of my books. My uh, Marathon BQ book is doing well on Amazon. So I was sitting in the hotel this week reading archaeology news on my computer. I was chatting with the kid that was working there. And when I told him what I was doing, he said he couldn't read books. He said he got a couple minutes into reading and just couldn't do it. He just, just lost focus. He couldn't read books. And I told him, of course you can read books. And I asked him, what are you good at? 
what do you really enjoy? And he said basketball. And I asked him how we got good at basketball. And he smiled and, and understood. He said by practicing and playing a lot. And I told him it was the same thing with anything you want to get good at, including reading. You just have to practice. I told him a story of when I was flying home from Portland to Boston the previous day <laughs> with my wife, and, and she was sitting beside me, and I was reading a book. And I was underlining bits that caught my interest and making notes. And she said, that seems like a good book. I should read that. And what I said to her is that this book isn't of much consequence in the grand scheme of things. It's the other 50 books or so a year I've read over the last 40 years, plus this one, that really make the difference. And that's how life is. It's about daily practice and the long view. It's about placing stones on top of each other every day so that someday you'll have a palace. So start building your palace. It's never too late to start. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Let's try that again. <laughs>